Welcome to the Clinical Research Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Wolke. In this podcast, we bridge conversations between industry, thought leaders, and patients. Utilizing a unique perspective, integrating years of coaching with Tony Robbins, coupled with scientific and industry experience. We have vulnerable and real conversations with the goal of impacting the industry in meaningful ways. In this episode, we talk to Heather leverington Dodor, an organ donor advocate, a mom. She was previously the co-head coach for outdoor and indoor track and field at Lock Haven University. Heather was a five-time national champion in the shot put. Her story tells of health challenges resulting in ultimately her having to go on the donor list to get lungs. Now, Heather's donor lungs were airlifted to Lung Biotechnology Public Benefit Corporation, a subsidiary of bioengineering company United Therapeutics. She tells of how her lungs underwent an ex vivo lung perfusion, which allowed the lungs to then be suitable for transplant. Heather is proof of the benefit of organ donation, clinical trials, and inspiration. Enjoy this episode. So welcome, Heather, to the podcast. I am thrilled and honored to have you here today. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background. Wow. Um, Well, I um, grew up in Kansas on a farm um, and um, got into athletics um, pretty early age um, in Emporia. And then I went to Emporia State University where I really got into track and field and uh, won a few national championships there and had the chance of going to the Olympic trials in 2000 um, and just had a great career. And um, after that, I started getting sick and I retired from um, being an athlete. Um, I didn't really know what was going on. I just knew that I, I just couldn't train at the level I wanted to. And so then I pursued um, coaching. Um, so we got, I got into coaching and that was been my little, my major focus for, um, the next 15, 16 years of my life. Um, but in the middle of that, um, I ended up getting really sick and, uh, found out that I needed a double lung transplant. And, um, so we are here now today, six days post or six years post transplant and, and doing well. Mm-hmm. So as an athlete, what was it like to have your body go through something, you know, so different and to, to begin to feel the body changing? Yeah. Um, it was very, very difficult because, um, it started off with soreness and muscle joint problems and not being able to recover from my workouts. And then that's when I realized something wasn't right. Um, but I just could not, um, for example, I would have a really hard day in the gym, um, a big squat day. And then I couldn't, I couldn't do anything for four days. And it wasn't like I hadn't been training, um, because I had been training consistently. It's just, um, my body just could not recover from that leg day. And so I started seeing that some things were a problem then. And then um, when I got away from and started focusing a little bit more on the coaching aspect, um, I was still working out for fun, but not as high intensity. 
And, um, and so I really found that, you know, I was losing my strength relatively quickly and, and it wasn't, I wasn't maintaining what I really, um, was, well, I guess I didn't really need to maintain that strength that I had gained, um, from, from, uh, throwing. Um, so, you know, it just, and then you just, all of a sudden you can't do things that you, that were so easy for you, like moving furniture and, and that kind of thing. Um, and when friends needed me to help move, I was like the person they called. Um, so that became a little bit more difficult to, uh, as time went by. And then eventually I just became so busy that I stopped working out altogether. Um, but I think some of that was because it was hard for me to work out. Um, you know, I was getting some shortness of breath and it wasn't fun anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of, um, unfortunately walked away from that. Um, but all that training had helped me get to, um, to a, a place where even when I wasn't in great shape, I knew how to control my breathing. Um, I knew how to, um, push through things, um, and, and kind of get things done. And, and so that got us to the point where the transplant probably got here a little sooner than we probably should have. But it also allowed me to live a little bit longer than they thought I would have, if that makes sense. So you went from being a five-time national shot put champion, Olympic hopeful, to having trouble breathing. Yes. And then I know you were on oxygen for a period of time, you know, mm -hmm. as your health began to, to change and, and this began to go on, what gave it? what gave you the resiliency to be able to continue coaching? I know there's stories of you in your wheelchair on oxygen and your athletes kind of helping balance the weight of the oxygen in the wheelchair as you were going up the hill. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it was difficult to put your pride aside. Um, no one wants to be looked at when, and, uh, have people make assumptions, you know, people assume that I was a smoker. Uh, I never smoked a day in my life. Um, so you kind of had to put that pride of, aside. Um, I was open and honest with my athletes, um, which I think in turn, they really helped me with that confidence. And um, they were always willing to make sure that I always had my oxygen, that it was always working, um, you know, like the oxygen would give the warning that I was almost out of battery. And it was almost like they were, they were trained to go straight to my bag and, and change it out for me. Um, sometimes it was almost a fight to see who could get that, get it done faster. <laughs> it's nice um, to have that kind of support. <laughs> yeah. And so that kind of helps me keep going. Um, I think it was you know, they needed me as much as I needed them. Mm -hmm. So it was a good relationship and it made, kept me going. It gave me something to work for. Um, it gave me a reason to go to work every day because it wasn't the easiest. Um, I would imagine not being able to breathe and trying to work would be difficult. Yes, definitely. Especially when you're working, coaching athletes in a very athletic field. Yeah. And you're talking about, you know, putting in anywhere from 40 to 70 hours a week um, quite easily. 
I mean, a track meet, you could leave at five in the morning and not get home till one or two o'clock in the morning the next day. Um, so, you know, with travel and all that stuff, yeah, I might be sitting on a bus for four hours, but at the same time, it's still taxing. You're still on, you're on call 24 seven when you're coaching. Um, you would be surprised at how many phone calls you get after hours, um, that kind of thing. But in the end, it's all worth it. And, uh, and, um, but it also gave me a reason to keep going. So, so I noticed some emotion coming up. Tell me what that's about. That's tough. It's okay. Because there was days that I felt like I couldn't give everything I had, even though I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and those relationships are things that are just very powerful and important people in my life. They still are an important part of my life. Um, I just recently went to one of their weddings. Um, so it's, and, you know, I recently walked away from coaching, um, to focus on my family. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's kind of hard thinking back to how much I received and, uh, and from coaching and how hard it was to walk away. Um, there's times that I still miss it. Um, but then there's also times where it's really cold outside and I'm like, glad I'm not out there today, (laughs) (laughs) that sort of thing. Or the Saturday afternoon when I'm sitting on the couch, relaxing with my family and not at a track meet, it's kind of nice. Yeah. The the give and trade, you know, you said you received a lot. I'm also going to suggest that you gave a lot. Yes. Yeah, I did. And I would think that even because of your athletes seeing what you were going through, they got a bigger lesson than just a coach. They got a lesson in resiliency and toughness, mental toughness, a willingness to find solutions, to break through, to persevere. Yes. Yeah. Um, I hope that I was a good example for them. I know a lot of them were rooting for me when I walked away from coaching or from when I got the call and, and went in for transplant. Um, so the year that I went, that I got the call, I had five fifth year seniors, hmm. five that had made, um, have made the effort to come back another season. Um, and was really excited about what they were going to accomplish. Um, a lot of them had national aspirations. And then for me to walk away in the middle of the season, um, cause I got the call in November and I wasn't there for their, their indoor and outdoor seasons. Um, and so it was really hard for me to, like, I feel very guilty for taking that away from them, but at the same time, they sent me so many words of encouragement and they were just so happy to see me when, um, I came back to visit and, um, I did go to a couple track meets, um, to cheer them on. And, and so, you know, um, I realized that there was something more important than, than, um, their, them competing 
It's something more important for me than coaching Mm -hmm. at that point in time. Um, But more of a, um, a relationship between, you know, athlete and, and coach on a personal level. I would think the lesson you taught them about taking care of oneself is, is probably going to exceed far beyond their, their career as an athlete. And that I think is one of the biggest lessons that we're seeing, you know, kind of come to the forefront. So you talked about, you got the call for the transplants Mm -hmm. and you were on the transplant list for two years. Um, no, I was on the list for nine months, nine months. Okay. Yeah. But I got my first call after two weeks. Okay. Um, got your first call after two weeks on the transplant list. What happened? Um, so I got a call at 10 in the morning. Um, uh, and I just got to study a table, um, at the library and I, I called the other head coach and I was like, Hey, I got to go. They just called me, um, pork and beans, pork and beans. And he's like, what's going on? I was like, I forgot to tell you, that's our, our pass, our keyword of it's a go and I need to get going. Um, <laughs> pork and beans. Yeah. Cause I called, I would call my husband daily and check in. Mm-hmm. And so like, whenever your phone rings, when you're on the transplant list, you freak out, like, Oh my God, this could be it. Mm-hmm. Well, he, his phone call was coming for me. So every time I called, he would have that moment of panic. Um, so when he answered, he was always like, can we come up with something, you know, like, pork and beans if it's a go or lobster roll if it's not so I'd be like (laughs) instead of saying hello I would go lobster roll and then we would just talk about what was going on or or that sort of thing um so that was kind of our our hurry up and and we got to go pork and beans and uh Aaron came over and relieved me and got in the car and we got to Pittsburgh as fast as we could and we waited till about 10 o'clock at night before they told us that the lungs had some pneumonia and they weren't good enough for, um, transplants. Um, so that was disappointing, but that was also very emotional, um, how to talk about things like if something happened to me, what would happen? You know, where would you be buried? Um, funeral arrangements. We can't even talk about that. Um, because that was not even my, in my like forefront, Um, so we did have some good conversations out of that. And, uh, um, we went home, had a big juicy burger because I hadn't eaten all day (laughs) and, uh, and headed home. And, uh, so then we, it wasn't until about, um, nine months that I received the second call. Mm -hmm. What was that second call like? The second call was completely out of the blue and a a surprise. I'd actually um, had been home from work that day um, because I'd been sick um, and I was feeling better, but I was like, I need to take one more day before I went back. And so my husband had just left that morning to go get my computer, my work computer, and he got home and I got the call and they said, well, we want you to we have possibly lungs for you, but it's part of research. And I said, yes, yes, yes. I'll take them. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, I haven't even told you anything about him. And she kind of, she said, we're doing this study. And, um, and I was like, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Um, 
I didn't really give her a lot, lot of, didn't let her really sink in or let her give her a lot of details other than, you know, they were going to be out of the body a little bit longer than normal. And, and uh, I just knew in the heart of hearts that they wouldn't give me something that wasn't good. Um, and I knew I trusted my team that they would take care of me. Mm-hmm. And so we hurried up. So this is November 7th and, and we hurried up and got to Pittsburgh um, about one o'clock in the afternoon. And we filled out a lot of paperwork. We did a lot of blood work since I was going to be a part of this clinical study and got a little more information about it um, at that time. But at the same time, I don't remember a lot of that conversation now. Um, probably the next 48 hours, 72 hours, I don't remember much of anything. Thank you to the really good drugs. Um, <laughs> but um, it wasn't until 4.30 in the morning the next day that I, I went in for uh, when my surgery started on November 8th. So what did you know about clinical research before you got that call? So um, I received a, a master's at the University of South Dakota. Um, and so they were a very research-based university. Um, so I learned a lot about research and, and the things that are out there and, and how important research is. And always being part of higher education, I really see the benefit to research. Um, so I did understand um, a little bit about research in, in in the process and how much work it takes to really get something going and to get to the point where, um, you know, you start with an idea and you get to um, work it all out with research. And then, then you get into using animals or, or other things in, in lab type studies. And then you get to the point where you're ready for humans. And um, so I understand that part of it. Um, so, I, you know, I know that it, it's well thought out, it's re- well um, organized and, and there's a lot of people working on, on stuff. So I, I see the benefit to it um, and that it really can help somebody and it can help others by being part of that. And so, so that was one of the reasons I agreed to being part of. So you had an ex vivo lung perfusion. So the lungs were out of the body and then they kind of washed them with a solution to repair. And yeah, uh, uh, my lungs would not-, not have been good enough for transplant. Um, they were sent to Silver Springs, Maryland, where it's, there's this more of a perfusion type platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, they use a machine similar to the ex vivo um, but their process includes the doctors, it includes the room, um, it includes a lot of things. Um, so when they did mine, there was people in Canada watching, um, it, like there's a master control room and there's these huge TVs and there's one that goes to Canada. There's one that went to my doctor in Pittsburgh. Um, there's the one to the doctors in the room that are performing the perfusion, um, so, and then there's people in that room that are, are going through and, and um, testing and watching numbers and, and doing the process. So it's, it was a, a lot of people involved in my transplant, mm-hmm. um, especially in that um, aspect of it. So 
obviously it worked because here you are six years later. <laughs> yes. Now you told me when we spoke initially that you were sicker than you thought. Yes. Um, so after my transplants and um, I got out of the, so I was in the hospital for about three weeks following my transplant. And then I got released to the family house um, to stay in Pittsburgh. And, and every day I had to go back and see the doctors. So the first day I went back to the doctor, um, I met with Dr. Sugar Mora, um, who wasn't my trans, he, he was part of the triad, but he wasn't the guy that actually performed it. And he pulled up a picture of my lungs and he said, your lungs are awesome. And for, I was taken back in that moment mm -hmm. because I was like, what do you mean? You think my lungs are awesome. I know you do high risk lung transplants all the time. And he just said, my lungs were awesome. And he said, by looking at them and he started to explain things and show me uh, pictures, the cross sections of my lungs. And because my lungs also went out for research once they cut them up and sent them out for researches and slides and, and things like that. Um, but he said I had probably less than a week to live. Um, and he attributed my athleticism um, for kind of covering up mm -hmm. um, how sick I really was. So no one really knew that I was that sick because um, I was just putting one foot in front of the other and not really complaining about anything. I was doing everything with a smile, you know, and um, and so they just really, I mean, you can do all the external tests until you actually see those lungs in person. You really don't know um, what's going on inside. You've got an idea, you know, they you did C CT scans and blood work and echocardiograms and EKGs and you can do all that stuff. But until you actually have those lungs out of the body and, and looking at them, you really don't know how bad the damage was. And there was, my lungs were black and they were solid. Wow. Uh, There's very few airways left open. Um, and so like for him to say that was a pretty moving moment because that was the moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I was a lot, I, I was closer to death than I thought. Um, like, I think when you're living life and you're just going forward that you're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about, okay, I'm going to get to the next thing. I got to get to the next thing, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's probably that athlete mentality of just, just going for it, no matter what right? Yes. Like it's almost the mind over the, the physical body. Yes. And taking charge. Now going through research, what would you say to somebody who has never heard of a clinical trial or is considering a clinical trial? Well, I would say do your research, of course. Um, but at the same time and ask questions, don't be afraid to ask questions and, and really, um, have it sink in. Maybe you need to go through it a couple of times, but know that clinical research is well studied and well, um, I mean, if they're, you're being monitored better than most people are being monitored by their doctor. Like you, they, they take in 
I probably have had a lot more bronchoscopies than a normal person. I'll probably have had a lot more blood work than the normal person. But at the same time, we've been able to catch things that um, may not have been caught um, if I would have gone with the normal protocol. And so I feel like, you know, there are some benefits to clinical research. Um, you have a lot of people's attention, <laughs> a lot for a lot a lot of attention and they're, and they're paying close attention. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, and if, if something isn't working, they can also, you know, you know, you can walk away from that clinical trial, but at the same time, if you are in mind, you can't walk away from it, obviously, but at least they could change direction of my treatments mm-hmm. uh, and find other things, other avenues to go, that kind of thing. So you mentioned that you're in another clinical trial currently. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll get into it. I still have, I'm still doing the testing and stuff. The screening. Mm-hmm. So what made you decide to want to participate in another trial? Why not? Um, you know, like there's, so I've, I've gotten this second chance to live and I want to keep living. And so if this drug that they want to try with me helps to extend my life and, and to, you know, there's a big thing in the transplant world, a big fear of, of rejection and chronic rejection. And so that word's starting to come up because I am six years out of my transplant. And so that's a big, scary word. Um, it doesn't usually happen overnight. Um, and you think it does, um, you think you get rejection and, and it's done but that's not true. It's treatable. And so, you know, this is an opportunity to prevent that from happening. And and that's their idea. And so if I can prevent that chance of chronic rejection and live longer, it's to me, it's worth it. Um, I now have a little one um, that's 19 months old and he's worth living for. So what would you say has been the biggest outcome of being in your trial? The biggest outcome um, is being able to compete again um, because I've, I've had this chance that I thought I'd never touch a shot put again mm-hmm. or a discus. Um, and so to have that opportunity to compete at the um, transplant games of America and the world transplant games. Um, it's been a really fun experience for me to be able to go back and do that sort of stuff again. Cause I didn't know my husband back then. So he's excited. <laughs> um, and I get to share it with my family. I get to share it with my son and, uh, he's already interested. He grabs my shots and this. Um, so he, he, he loves it, which makes a mama very happy, Mm -hmm. um, especially a coaching mama. Um, so when you say you're not coaching, actually you are. Yes. (laughs) Just a little, always a coach, once a coach, always a coach. (laughs) Um, so that's probably been one of the biggest outcomes. Um, the people I've met the transplant in the transplant world, along with I've had the opportunity to meet the people that perfuse my lungs and the relationships that I have formed with them um, means the world to me. Um, And then having my son, 
um, because that was something that I thought would never happen. And uh, he was one of the reasons we found out that I had lung hypertension um, because we were trying to get pregnant on our own. And, um, and so the a high risk doctor will not touch you if you have that one particular thing of lung hypertension. And, and through testing, we found out that I did have it really badly, actually. Um, it was induced by exercise. So I could fool the, some of the testing. Um, and so it kind of gave up on the chances of having a family. Um, and so once we had the transplant, um, we started talking about adoption and surrogacy and, um, we chose surrogacy and, um, and here we are (laughs) with a toddler, (laughs) which, which is an exciting full-time, full-time job for sure. Now, I know you had talked about, you met Martine and Mm -hmm. she asked if you would have accepted a pig organ. Yes. What do you think about that? Um, In the time, um, I would have said yes in a heartbeat Um, because I was so sick that, you know, at that point in time, I had no other choice. Like it's, you're getting to the point if you're not getting that organ that you're waiting for, mm-hmm. um, then having the opportunity of getting something that could prolong my life, um, I, I think I would have said yes. Um, I think people that are healthy and normal might have to struggle a little bit harder with the concept of having a pig organ because you're thinking of it as more of a that's well, that's an animal and, and it's not human. And, and you start, you think about the other things, but I think when your life is on the line, you probably would do about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you have something to live for and you really want to be here. Um, and so, um, and, and the whole thought of not having to be on, um, drugs, re- rejection drugs to the level that I'm on and, and that kind of stuff. That's exciting. <laughs> I think some of the research that they're doing is just totally incredible. Um, and beyond my whole thought, like I never thought that in my lifetime that I would see some of this technology, but they're making headway and it's coming faster than we thought. And mm-hmm. the more opportunity we have to provide organs to people who are waiting because the list is so big and every 20 minutes, someone's given their life um, waiting on a transplant and they don't make it. Mm-hmm. And so if we can, um, you know, open the door where there's more organs available um, and, and people are surviving, it, it's a very exciting time. So I know that you're also active for organ donation. What would you say about organ donation? it's an amazing gift that you can give to somebody else. It's a way to continue your legacy. Mm -hmm. Um, I can, I am living proof that I'm trying to, um, to fulfill the legacy of my, um, donor. Um, I am grateful for her, her gift that she gave to me. Um, there's about a 10 year age difference between me and her, and so I don't know if she was ever a mother, but I, but now she is. Wow. Um, 
I mean, I don't know my donor personally. Um, I've reached to the family, reached out to the family, but I understand why they may not respond. Um, but I want to know what she was like and what her hopes and dreams were, because a lot of I had given up on a lot of my hopes and dreams. And she gave me the opportunity to reach out and keep my hopes and dreams alive. And if I could repay that to her, I would do it in a heartbeat. And so it's really, I'm living proof of why organ donation is so important. And there's a lot of us out there that work really hard to live our best lives and, and to continue our lives. Um, after someone has given theirs. Mm. I acknowledge you, Heather. And, and I, you know, you had such a sense of purpose and resiliency. I think before you got sick, you obviously were an elite athlete. Um, but it almost seems like there's a, a deeper, richer, uh, commitment, purpose, passion with this new phase. Um, I'm a trainer for Tony Robbins, as well as working in the research field. And one of the things that Tony always says is that life happens for you, not to you. Correct. So using this as, you know, something that can further fuel your mission and uh, the ability that you're able to carry this on and that you're able to have a son. And as you said, who knows if your donor would have wanted to have a family, but in some way she does through you. So yes. what, what a beautiful, um, outlook. And, and I just acknowledge you for that and your willingness to share. What do you think that people should know about clinical research? If you were to, to give someone like, why should they, why should they consider it or should they consider it? I think you should definitely consider clinical research. I mean, it, it provides opportunities that may not be there for you. Um, it, it may provide an opportunity to live longer mm -hmm. and maybe an opportunity to help someone else live longer. Um, you know, it, even if my life is cut short and I've gained um, six, seven, eight years, um, and I hope that the next person that, that receives the, a transplant like mine would extend their lives 20, 25 years. Um, and so I just hope that, you know, clinical trials are important um, to help us move in the future, to, to help people live longer, um, to live in less pain, um, and to have better lives. And sometimes you just got to be a little less, I mean, you need to be selfless, selfish and selfless all at the same time. Um, Anything else you want our listeners to know? Oh man. Um, just go out and live life and be positive and uh and good things will happen and i truly firmly believe that 
Um, I never gave up hope and, and I just kept moving forward, putting one foot in front of the other and, and, and staying positive that good things will happen. And, and I've truly been blessed in many ways. And I hope that for everybody that's listening. Well, you are a blessing. You are an inspiration and I appreciate you and your willingness to sit down and, and, and chat with me about this. Um, thank you for your vulnerability, for your honesty, your transparency. And I wish you long life, fantastic health, and a lot of patience as you raise that young boy of yours. Thank you. I will need it. He is a challenge. He is all boy. Yeah. Yes. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the clinical research coach. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a rating and a review. I truly hope that you got something out of this episode that can help us all work towards our goal of making a meaningful difference in the lives of others. 